Your Bibles now, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And today we are continuing in chapter 7 of our study of 1 Corinthians, and we're dealing with the subject of marriage. I don't know when I've preached three messages on marriages in a row. I don't think that's ever happened. And this will be the last one today for a while, I think. But uh, this is the great thing about 1 Corinthians. Uh, We're taking the Scriptures just as they come to us, so we're not going to skip over any parts. And uh, the Bible in 1 Corinthians touches very important areas of our life, and that's what being a Christian is. I mean, Christianity concerns the whole person. When you become a Christian, uh, that's a life-changing event, and there's nothing at any time in your life as a Christian you don't think, is this the way a Christian acts? Is this how a Christian thinks? Is this how a Christian lives? The Scripture says that when we receive Christ as our Savior, that we become new creatures in Christ. We're no longer governed by the world's standards, but now God has become our standard. And I believe that's why you're here today. If you're a Christian and you've come to church today, I think you've come to find out. What is God's standard for my life? And that's what we want to learn. What does God want us to do? Well, we've been discussing God's standards as it relates to marriage. And you've heard me say this before, that there are only two divine institutions in the world. The first one was marriage. And that was between the first two people that lived on earth. God performed a marriage. The second institution is that of the church. These are heaven-ordained institutions, and both of these have to be right in order for us to rightly function as God's people in this world. Well, when we think about God's standard for marriage, we learn that sometimes it's very rough on our human nature. Uh, We just don't like what the Bible has to say about marriage. We talked about marriage and divorce last week, and some of the things we said are very difficult for people to take. It's hard for the flesh to live to God's standards, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit's help uh, to help us to get through this thing. Well, today we're going to talk about marriage again, only this time we're going to talk about it from the single person's perspective. Now, all of you married people today, don't throw your minds out of gear because we're going to be talking to single people. Uh, We don't have too many single people in the church, but maybe we can direct this towards the young people and a few single adults that we do have. Uh, But we want to look at marriage from a single person's perspective. And sometimes as married adults in the church, we just totally misunderstand single people. Uh, Sometimes uh, uh, we look at single people as if there's something wrong with them because they're not married. We're convinced that they ought to be. Uh, We think that single people can't be happy unless they're married. And so we sort of take on single people in the church as the ugly stepchild. We just really don't know what to do with single people. And there are many single adults in the church that they can't figure this out. How do I fit in to a church when everybody else is a married person? Well, you need to think about that when there are single people around, that they're part of our church as well. And then, of course, as I, as I talk about single people and we think that they ought to be married, sometimes we just have pity for them. They're supposed to be married. There's something wrong with the person who's not married. And so we're convinced that we have to help force that person into marriage. And so we go about our matchmaking duties. We're going to help hook them up with somebody so they can be married. Well, the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that it's all right for a person to be single. And we have the wrong attitude towards people when we think that they have to be married. We're going to talk about this today in 1 Corinthians An odd subject, again, I think, for Sunday morning, but we're studying 1 Corinthians, so we've just got to deal with it all. Uh, The Bible teaches that we can be happily married, 
And some of you may still dispute that, but you can be happily married. But the Bible also teaches that you can be happily unmarried. So we're going to read about it. Let's stand from God as we read God's Word today. And we're going to read just a few verses to get started with. And then we'll consider the rest of this passage as we go through. But we're going to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 25. And here Paul says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. And he's talking about being single. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today... Uh, We just ask you, Lord, you'd open our hearts to the Scriptures. Help us to learn something that will be beneficial. Lord, may even the married people that are here today contemplate this, think back on it, and understand why the Word of God says the things that it does. Help our single people today, Lord, to understand this as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you look once again at verse number 25, Paul says, Now concerning virgins... I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And we notice there that that Paul uses the word virgins. And what he means there is a person that's never been married. Last week, as we were looking at this passage, we we saw that uh, Paul talks about three different types of people in 1 Corinthians 7. He's speaking to people that uh, some of them that were married, but now they have been divorced. And he tells them what to do in that situation. He talks about people who are married and then widowed. They've lost their mate. Their mate has died. And then the third uh, group of people that he talks to are people who are unmarried, the single people. And that's who this group is, uh, or this verse is addressing. It's that last group of people, people who have never been married. Now here Paul says that I have no commandment from the Lord. Now, we need to remember this, that Paul is still speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he says that he has no commandment from the Lord on this, what he means is that there is no no Old Testament law that's been written, and and there is no, no words of Jesus that he can go back to and say, well, Jesus taught on this particular subject. What he's saying is that there is no scripture on this, but he's writing under the inspiration of the scripture. God's telling him what his opinion ought to be. And so it's not just that he has a fallible opinion and says, this is my judgment, take it or leave it, do the best that you can with it. No, he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we're to take this as God's word spoken to us. And so he says, there is no scripture on this. But now what we find Paul doing is writing the scriptures even while we're reading. This is what God has to say on the subject. Then he goes on in these next verses down to the end of the chapter, and he gives us some arguments about staying single. Why should a person stay single, or why are there reasons why it's okay for people to stay single? Now, we know that when God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden, God gave them a command. He said, I want you to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Well, are we to take from that that God says that every single person in the world or all people are to be married, or is it all right for some people to remain single? 
Well, Paul gives us the answer to these questions, and he tells us it is acceptable for some people to be single. Now, we're going to give you today six reasons why you may want to stay single. Now, if you're already married, of course, you'll think this doesn't apply, but maybe you'll think back on it and say, well, that was a pretty good reason. I should have listened to that. But let's think about it today. Six reasons why it's all right for people to stay single. Reason number one that Paul gives in the Scripture is because of the situation of the world. Now, let's look at verse number 26. He says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. For those of you that are not married, it's better for you to stay single because of the present distress. Or he's saying here that you need to stay single. You may want to consider this because of the world situation. Now, as we look at that scripture, we have to understand the context in which he's writing. When Paul wrote this, the Corinthian people, Christian people, were very, uh, under very intense persecution from the Roman government. Christianity was an unacceptable sect. Whenever anything went wrong in the Roman Empire, it was Christian people that were blamed for it. When Rome was having difficulty in their battles, when the economy of Rome was going bad, they blamed that on Christian people. The reason they did was because the Christians did not worship all of the Roman gods. And so the gods were angry at them. And so Christian people were very heavily persecuted. They were taken and they were killed. Families were torn apart. And so Paul says that there is a lot of distress for people that are Christians. Now, most of you probably know about Nero. Uh, Nero was one of the crazy emperors of the Roman Empire. And he was the emperor at the time that Paul lived. One of the things that Nero liked to do... He liked to go out and ride his horses through his garden. Well, Nero came up with a very inventive way of lighting up his gardens at night so he could see to ride his horse. Now, of course, they didn't have any electric lights at that time. And so Nero had a real good way to light up the garden so he could see where he was going. You know what he did? He took Christian people, he had them dipped in wax, and then he had his servants tie those Christians to poles, and they'd set the Christians on fire. And there Nero would ride through his garden. He'd have all the light that he needed in order to see where he was going. Now, this is what Paul is talking about. This is the present distress. This is what was going on at the time. So Paul is saying to them, he said, you, you need to think very carefully about marriage under such circumstances. Do you want the responsibility of raising a family? Do you want to have a wife when this could happen to you? Your family could be torn apart. They could be made burning torches or even fed to lions. And so Paul says, think about this before you make a decision to get married. Well, thank the Lord for this. We don't have that kind of persecution today. We're not going to face those kinds of things. But when a person gets married today, if he chooses to get married, you ought to think very carefully about this. I mean, what kind of outlook do you have on the world? What do you expect from the future? And Paul says one of the reasons that you may want to remain unmarried is because of all the things that we see going on in the world today. That's a reason not to be married. Now in verse 27 he says, Are you already married? Then stay married. That's God's standard. Don't seek to be unmarried. To the widows and divorced and people that have never been married, he said, Don't seek to be married again. Now he gives a second reason why people may want to remain single. And reason number two is because of the troubles of marriage. In verse number 28, he gives a warning. He says, But and if thou marry, 
thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, that's an unmarried woman, she hath not sinned, or unmarried man, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. He says marriage brings trouble in the flesh. I'm surprised I didn't get any amens from any of the men right then. Marriage can bring trouble. And he says, you may want to consider staying single because there are troubles that come in marriage. Well, there are blessings also that come in marriage. But Paul's giving one side of the argument right now. He's talking to single people. And he's saying, when you get married, you can expect that troubles will come. There'll be problems in marriage. There's problems uh, with your in-laws. There are problems with finances. There's problems of selfishness. All of these things come into play when you decide to get married. When you have one person who has problems, and of course all God's children, as you know, have problems. When, when you have one person who has problems and they marry another person who has problems, what do you do? You multiply problems. And so you have to live with it and you have to deal with it. Whenever you have two people that are living in such close proximity to one another, you can expect there are going to be issues that arise. Problems will come. You know, it's sort of like getting on an airplane. Uh, how many of you ever had the joy of flying and sitting right behind you, there was a three- or four-year-old child? You ever had that joy? Oh, yeah, man. And those kids, they kicked the back of the seat the entire time. Don't you just love that? Or what about this? Uh, you're on a five-hour flight, and sitting right in front of you is a three- or four-year-old, and you spend five hours playing peekaboo with that kid in front of you. Doesn't that drive you crazy? I mean, this is what Paul is kind of comparing that to. You have all these people packed into this airplane. They have rowdy kids. People are sneezing. They're coughing, performing other body functions, if you know what I mean. And and you can't get away. You're there. You're inside. You can't step out of the airplane. You have to stay there and you have to live with it. And Paul says that's what marriage is like. You share all of the problems. Now, it's great. You get to share the joys, too. And Paul says a lot of good things about marriage. But right now, he's talking about those problems that come in marriage. And you have to stick with it. You have to stay there. You have to live in it because that's God's standard. Now, in this passage, he talks about the single people. And he says, listen, you have got to know what you're getting into when you decide to seek a spouse. There are troubles in marriage. And you just simply have to decide, is it worth all of the trouble that you have to go through to be married. Now, verse 28, he says, if you do marry, it's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you don't marry, you haven't sinned. Basically, you have two types of single people. You have single people that do not want to be married. And that's okay. Paul says it's okay. If you don't want to get married, that's all right. You haven't sinned. But then there are also single people that do want to get married. And these are single people that are out shopping for mates. They're trying to find somebody that they're going to marry. And what Paul is telling us here, you need to be very careful what you shop for when you're shopping for a mate. Now, we're going to just take a little pause, a little interlude here in the middle of the message to talk for just a moment about this. Who do you look for? What do you do when you're shopping for a mate? So I have some shopping tips for anybody here that if you're not married and you're looking for somebody to marry, here are some shopping tips for you. Tip number one is that you decide when to go shopping. You don't let anybody else decide for you when it's time for you to go looking for a mate. I've known some parents that they are absolutely convinced it is time for their kids to go shopping. They want to get them out of the house. They want them to go get somebody right now, and they're, not, they're very anxious to see it happen. Brother Dalton was that way. I mean, he was anxious to get, uh, get that shopping experience over with. Let's get, a, let's get a young man in here to marry one of these girls. 
Dalton Jr. sitting back there. I'm sure he's thinking the same thing as he's sitting there. Number two, don't go shopping when you're starved. You ever been to the grocery store when you were hungry? You ever done that? You know, I've gone to the grocery store and I'm hungry. I end up buying everything that's on the shelf. I mean, there are things there that I wouldn't even think about eating most of the time. And I decide, you know, that sounds pretty good right now. And I'm convinced that the people that buy the cow tongues and the pickles pig's feet, they're, they're the people that must be starved when they go shopping. But you need to be careful about this. I mean, when you're shopping for a mate, make sure that you are not emotionally and relationally starved. Because if you are, then you can end up buying what anybody is selling. So don't go shopping when you're starved. Number three is select the store that carries the product that you're looking for. Lots of single people go shopping in singles bars. And what do they find there? Exactly what they expect. Exactly what they're shopping for. If you shop for an inferior product, you're going to buy an inferior product. My suggestion for people is that you go shopping in the church. You want to find a mate? Go shopping in the church. That's what my wife did. She went shopping in the church. She was in the gourmet section and she found me, of course. (laughs) Number four, you believe that, I know you do. Number four, number four is check your account before you go shopping. See what you have in that emotional checking account that you're able to spend. Now, I know a lot of girls that will go out shopping and they are determined they're going to purchase a fixer-upper. And what happens when you try to buy a fixer-upper that sometimes the cost is simply too great. And so my advice to you as a Christian, go shopping for people that have already been fixed. Find somebody that knows Jesus Christ is their Savior. If you're a Christian, marry another Christian, and then your marriage is going to turn out right, or God will bless you in that. So pick somebody who's already been fixed by Jesus. And then number five, here's your fifth tip, beware of false packaging. How many times have people gotten married only to find out that what they got was not as advertised. They were looking at the packaging. It was really pretty. It claimed to be new and improved. It claimed that it could make things wider than they've ever been before. But when you got home and you opened the package, you find out that it's not what you bargained for. And you find out that there's still a lot of things in there that are going to leave scum behind in your marriage. Paul says if you're married, you haven't sinned. But if you're shopping for a mate, if you're looking for someone, you make sure you look for the right kind of person. So you may want to consider staying single because of troubles that come in marriage. Then why is it okay to stay single? Well, here's the third third reason. Because of the brevity of life. Now let's look at verse number 29. He says, But this I say, brethren, that the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. Pay attention to that last part of that verse. The fashion of this world passeth away. That's the key to understanding what Paul is saying. Now, if you're still wearing a mullet today, you haven't yet learned that the fashion of the world passes away. If you've got a members-only jacket, the fashion of the world passes away. If you still turn up the collar on your polo shirt, old folks, the fashion of the world passes away. 
You need to learn that. Well, actually, that's not what Paul's talking about at all. I just threw that in. When he says the fashion of the world passes away, he means that the institutions of this world, these things are not going to be around very long. Verse number 29 says the time is short. We're not going to be around here very long. In the great scheme of things, our lives are just like a drop in the ocean. It doesn't amount to very much. And God has appointed a time when he's going to bring this world to judgment. And that's going to be when Jesus comes back. And what does the Bible continually tell us? Look for the coming of Jesus. He's coming back. Be prepared for that. Now, the good news is, for some people, that Jesus could come back at any moment. They're saved, and that's good news that Jesus could come back. But it's bad news for other people, and that's because they're not prepared. And so whether you're married or unmarried, you need to be prepared when Jesus comes back. And if you're not ready for this life to end, and you're not ready for him to come, you need to get prepared. Amos says, prepare to meet thy God. Now, when Jesus comes back, it's, it's not going to be a time for people to settle accounts. When you leave this life, when Jesus comes back, or when you leave this life by dying, it's not going to be a time to change your mind because you're not going to be able to do that. You must have this thing settled right now. Whatever state you're in when you die, that's the state that you remain in. And so if you're on the way to hell when you die, after you die, you will be in hell. There's no changing that. Now, this is some of what Paul is talking about. How does that relate to marriage? The fashion of this world passes away. Time is short. Life is brief. We're not going to be here for very long. Why does he say this about marriage? Well, we need to understand that things will change when Jesus comes back. Our relationships will change. Verse number 29 is talking about relationships. He also talks about emotions. When Jesus comes back, you won't be married any longer. I believe that you're going to know your mate when you get to heaven, but that's not your primary relationship any longer. Your, your primary relationship with G, is with Jesus Christ. And so when we get to heaven, there won't be any such thing as marriage. Now, there's some people that simply cannot bear that thought. I mean, they're married now, they love their mate, and you should, and they can't bear the thought that they're not going to be married when they get to heaven. Some of you are waiting to get there because of that fact that you won't be married any longer. But there are people that have been married for years. They have the right kind of marriage. Their mate means everything to them, and that's as it should be. But the Bible says there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. Then in verse number 30, he talks about emotions that will change, weeping and rejoicing. And the last part, he talks about possessions. All of those things that you thought were worth your time and your energy, and you worked and you worked and you worked to get, to get, to get, to possess, to possess... He says, all those things are going to pass away. None of that's going to mean anything anymore when Jesus comes back. You need to consider that. So this is what Paul is saying. Time is short. Our lives are brief. And you need to decide, are you going to invest yourself in that kind of relationship because everything is going to change? My purpose today is not to talk you out of marriage. I'm not trying to do that. Marriage is great. It's a wonderful thing. But Paul is saying it's also okay not to be married. When you consider how relationships will change and that your relationship will be over, that might be a reason why you decide that you don't want to be married. 
Then why is it all right to be married? Here's a fourth reason that he gives. Because of the demands of marriage. There are demands in marriage. When you commit yourself to marriage, you need to understand there are certain restrictions that are placed on you. Now look what he says in verses 32 to 35. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. It means between a wife and a woman who's unmarried. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, that I may cast that I may cast a snare upon, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Well, what does all that mean? What's Paul trying to say? Paul was a single man. Now, it's probable that he was married. Talked about it last week. Uh, I believe that he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and a requirement for that was that he be a married man. But apparently, at this time, Paul is single. So what happened, most likely, is that his wife had died. Now, Paul is saying here, now that I'm single, now that I no longer have a wife, I can devote myself with undivided attention to God's work. Now, he says, when you're married, you can't do that. You've got a family to contend with. You've got a wife. You've got children. You have to concern yourself with that. And so you can't devote all of your time and your energy to the Lord's work. I know that... As a married man, if I was unmarried and I was the pastor of the church, that I would probably spend all of my time studying. I would go home, if I did go home, and and I would uh, sit in my office, I would study there, I'd prepare myself for what I'm going to do here, and I'd be working all the time concerning myself with the Lord's work. Now, I realize, though, that there is a trade-off here. If I was an unmarried man, I probably wouldn't be the pastor of the church. I mean, I think that it's best for a person to be married. But what people really don't understand is that my wife, as a pastor's wife, has to give up a lot in the area of marriage. There are burdens, perhaps, that she has on her that she didn't bargain for when we got married, knowing that I was going to become a pastor. Now, I don't seek to be unmarried, as I said, um, It's far better for a pastor to be married. But a person who is not married, a person who is single, they can devote all of their time or perhaps very much more of their time to the Lord's work because they're not encumbered with a family. Now, here's the sad thing about this many times is that a family can sometimes hinder your work for the Lord. That happens when a family is not sympathetic to the Lord's work. When they don't care about the Lord's work and they don't care that you're a Christian, they'll try to hold you back from God's service. And that would be a hindrance to a person who's trying to serve the Lord. Now, again, as I talk about my wife, this is why I appreciate her so much and why I love the kind of woman that she is because she's willing to sacrifice for God's work. She has to give up time that she could spend with me. And that's glorious time, believe me. She has to give up time uh, and, and... And that's great that she does that. I appreciate that because there are lots of people that their wives are not sympathetic to the Lord's work. Some of you may know the story of John Bunyan. John Bunyan is the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read Pilgrim's Progress? No, Pilgrim's Progress was the second best-selling book in the United States uh, for many, many, many years, second only to the Bible. 
I mentioned this in our Sunday school class a few weeks ago, but do you know what book replaced Pilgrim's Progress on the bestsellers list? It was Peyton Place. Can you imagine that? Peyton Place? Now, today, most people have not read Pilgrim's Progress. I encourage you to do that. You ought to read it. It's a great allegory on the Christian life. But John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, he was a 17th century Baptist preacher. He was a nonconformist. And, of course, that means that he was not a, a member of the Church of England. And so because he would, he would not renounce his Baptist faith and because he would not stop preaching and teaching, he was put into the Bedford Jail in England for 12 years. His family was not sympathetic to his work. He had a blind daughter. And one of the things that the government would do is they would send his blind daughter to John Bunyan while he was in prison and beg him to stop preaching, beg him to stop writing, and encourage him to come home, come back to your family. But John Bunyan refused to do that. He wasn't going to stop preaching for anybody or for anything, but his family was not sympathetic to that, and the government knew it, and they tried to use that against him. In those 12 years that he was in the Bedford Jail, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote The Holy War. There are other great uh, works that John Bunyan wrote. And he would not have been able to do that if he had considered the distraction of his family. If he let that override his work for the Lord, he would not have been able to do those things. Now, this is what Paul is saying. You may want to decide to stay single because there are distractions that keep you away from God's work. Some of you may know the story of John Wesley. John Wesley's wife left him because she could not bear up under the strain of his preaching and what he did. So Paul was a married man, but with the constant threats that were on his life, it would have been next to impossible for him to have a family. His wife would never know if he was living or dead. And so Paul said, I choose to remain where I am. I'm going to stay single because I can devote all of my time and attention to the Lord. Then why is it all right to be single? Reason number five is because of the permission of parents. Now, this one may be a little bit harder to understand because verses 35 through 38 are some of the hardest verses in the Bible to interpret. There's a lot of disagreement about what these verses mean. Let's read it. Verse number 35, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you. Now, what he's saying there is, you don't have to stay. It's not necessary or absolutely uh, a command of God that you stay single. And I'm not saying these things because I want to ensnare you or entrap you in some kind of sin uh, because that you, I'm demanding that you stay single. He says, but for that which is comely and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth fast, steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. Do you see what I mean? Why it's hard to understand what that says? What's all that about? Well, I believe what Paul is referring to is the parents of unmarried children. Back in Paul's day, they had arranged marriages. And that's where the father could go and choose the one that his daughters were going to marry. He's the one that picked out the husband. Some of you probably wish we still had that system today because you may not be too happy with the person that your children picked. But we don't do that. 
Well, what's he talking about here? Well, what happened here is that some of the Christian fathers in Corinth decided that they were going to dedicate their daughters to the Lord and they were not going to let them get married. They would have to remain permanent virgins. But then when those daughters got older, what they found out was that these daughters wanted to get married. I mean, many of them did. And so the question here is, what do you do about this vow that's been taken? They promised that these children remain unmarried. So can they be released from that vow? Would that be all right or are they not to do that? So essentially what Paul is doing in these verses is he's releasing the father from that promise. Some children simply do not have the gift to remain single, and so that would lead them into sin. So Paul's saying it's all right to be released from that vow. The father can change his mind because it's not right for one person to vow for another person anyway. You can't vow something for someone else's or that may affect their spirituality. So Paul is releasing them from the vow. Well, how does that relate to us today? I mean, what could we glean from what Paul says about parents being involved in it? Well, we don't have the arranged marriages, of course. But I believe that it is important for parents to sanction a marriage. I still think that it's right and proper for a young man to go ask a father if he can marry his daughter. I think that's the right thing to do. Now, here, here's the truth of the matter, and we all know this, that when two people get married, the wife leaves her father and her mother, and she is to live with her husband, and he's the one who's the head over her. And likewise, the, the man, he leaves his parents, and he's bound to his wife. But there's one thing you find out about marriage. It is always best to get along with the in-laws. If you had, how many of you can attest to that? Let's just see some hands on that. It is always best to get along with your in-laws. And that's why I think it's a good thing if people are very well aware of what they're getting into. Make sure the family gets along. Now, I'm not saying this is a command from God's Word. And I'm not saying that this absolutely has to be done. But I do believe it is always best to have the parents' permission before you get married. You ought to do that. That helps with the, with the cohesion of the family. Now, lastly, is it all right to stay single? And if you choose to stay single, can you be happily unmarried? Well, here's the last reason he gives, and that's because of the permanency of marriage. Paul tells us that marriage is a permanent relationship. Now, look at verses 39 and 40. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. One reason that you may want to stay single is because marriage is permanent. If you get into a bad marriage, folks, you have made a vow. You are in that relationship and there is no reason for you to break that marriage apart. You have to stay in that bad relationship because you've made a vow. Now, remember what we studied about this last week? God uh, puts two people into a marriage, and when they get married, they become one flesh. There's a bond between the husband and the wife. And God's gold standard for marriage is that marriages are never to break apart. And the only way that a marriage can be broken apart is if one or the other or even both of the spouses enter into a very deep sin against God. So... If you come up with this idea, well, that I have irreconcilable differences with my mate, you won't find this in the Bible. 
There is no permission for people to get divorces because of irreconcilable differences. Because you make a mistake does not mean that you don't have to keep your vow. And so you have to learn to live with irreconcilable differences. You can't break marriage apart. And you may want to consider that. I mean, you want, might not want to get married because you don't want to get into a bad relationship. You can't get out of it. Now, the reason that we have so many divorces today and there are so many broken families is people decide to get married without considering all the consequences. They don't know what all is involved here. And because they got some hormones that said that we've just got to get married, they decide to get married. Well, you may not realize how good you have it when you're single because when you get into a bad relationship, that is terribly hurtful and can ruin your whole life sometimes. So you may want to stay single. Paul says it's okay to stay single. Now, we said before that there's some people who have the gift to be single, and that doesn't mean that they're... We talked about it a, a couple of weeks ago. That doesn't mean the person is an odd duck. It doesn't mean that person is a, an old maid, a spinster, and neither does it mean that, that that man is a decrepit, lonely old man. It doesn't mean that at all. God may have given a person a gift to be, to be single, but one of the reasons you may want to stay single according to the Word of God is because you can better serve the Lord. Now, as we come down to the end of this study on marriage, there's some things we need to consider here. Now, the Roman Catholics, they look at this passage of Scripture and they take some of their ideas of celibacy right out of these Scriptures. And what the Roman Catholics actually believe that a nun, for instance, must be married to the Lord. She can't be married to a man because she needs to be married to the Lord. And priests likewise. Now, the problem here is that if people do not have the gift of being single and they are forced to remain in celibacy, then what happens is you get into all these sexual scandals. People can't contain themselves that you see in the Roman Catholic Church today. Paul says we have to very carefully consider the idea of marriage. He's telling us that marriage is an optional thing. We need all kinds of people in the church. We need people that are married and people that are unmarried. We know in the scriptures that Paul compares the church to a body. And we know that all body parts do not come in pairs. You have two eyes, but you have one nose. You have two ears, but you've only got one belly button. You might be the belly button in the church, and you're supposed to stay single. I don't know. But it's all right. We have to have all of these people in the church. Now, as we conclude then this, this, this little mini-series for three sermons that we've had about marriage, there's some things that we need to consider that are good for married people, for single people, people seeking to get married. Here's some good principles to think about when we think about the supremacy of Jesus. Now, number one is this. Make Jesus the security of your life. In marriage, you find security. And some people need that kind of security. But if you're not married, where do you find security? We find it in Jesus Christ. Really, whether you're married or unmarried, you, can find, you find more security in Christ than you can ever find in any man or woman. So look for your security there. Number two is to make Jesus the strength of your life. There are advantages in marriage. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that when two walk together and one stumbles, the other one there is, is there to pick them up. That's an advantage that you get in marriage. You have the strength that comes from the other person. But you say, well, I'm single. And so where am I going to get my strength? 
Well, the Scripture also says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, as a single person, you may say, well, that's great. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. But it's awful hard to reach out there and grab hold of Jesus, isn't it? It's real hard to do that. That's what your church is for. Your church is somebody that you can reach out, the people in the church reach out and grab hold of, and you can find your strength there. The church is your family if you're a single person and married as well. But especially for single people, grab onto your church. Find Jesus Christ in satisfaction right there. and Make him the strength of your life, Jesus Christ. And then number three, make Jesus the satisfaction of your life. Sometimes, as a single person, you may not feel satisfied. You know something is missing. Well, God's telling you, it's all right to seek a mate, but seek the right kind of mate. And if you decided to stay single, you can always find your deepest satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And now, principle number four is to make Jesus the standard of your life. Make him the model of your life. Married or single, aspire to be like Jesus. Aspire to work for him. Never lower your standards. Look for the holiness of Christ and live in him. Now, sometimes married people forget a very important fact about Jesus, and that is that Jesus was single. And Jesus was the most fulfilled person that had ever walked on planet Earth. And you know why? Because he found his communion and his fellowship with his heavenly father. And all of us can do that. We can find fellowship in that. That's the standard that we live by. So what does God say about marriage? If you're married, stay married. There is no cause to break up a marriage. Marriage is God-ordained. And then if you're single, think very carefully about staying single But if you've decided that God wants you to marry someone, you marry only in the Lord. You look for a mate that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I promise you, if you'll put these principles into place, and if you'll hold on to these things, you'll be a very happy married person or a very happy single person. You can be happily married, but you can also be happily unmarried. The Bible teaches both. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've spent around your word today. And Lord, I just pray that all of the married people that are here, that we would very clearly understand the standard that we are to uphold for marriage. Marriages are for life, and that's what you expect. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would hold our families together as we look to you. Then, Lord, for those that are single, if they're looking for mates, Bring them someone. Help them to look in the right places where they find someone who is a Christian, a believer. And Lord, maybe even right in the church, they can find the person that they would marry. But if they decide to stay single, then Lord, give them the contentment that they need. Help them to look for the strength, the satisfaction, for all the things that they need in you. We pray that you might bless this invitation today. Draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.